Good evening. Uh, I'd like to welcome everyone to the December 14th, 2022 meeting of the Transportation Commission to order. I'll be calling roll and we have a mixture of folks in person and virtual. Um, just a reminder for everybody to speak up a little bit because sometimes it's hard to hear with uh, mic issues sometimes. Um, so going around the table first, uh, Brian McGee. Present. Um, Patrick. Present. Present. Uh, and I'm remotely free. Here. Thank you. DJ? I think you're muted, AJ. Oh, here. Let's see, who else do we have? Raphael? Here. Oh, good. Thank you. Good. And Kurt Ernstfeld, Chair. All right. First up is approval of the minutes of the last meeting, which was in, um, gee, what's that? Over 26th, I think. Yeah, October 26th. Do we have any comments on the meeting minutes from that date? Hearing none, uh, do we have approval of the Motion for approval of the minutes. All motion to approve. Thank you. Second. I'll second it. All in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed? It's been approved. Next up is uh, public comment period. Do we have anybody that's in the queue to make comments? I think we do. Yes, tonight we have uh, Lisa McConnell. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Uh, the eight, I'm here to talk about the 85th station area plan. It envisions um, this area as a thriving transit-oriented, newly walkable district with pedestrian priority. With this focus only on the transportation elements of the SAP, I've sent letters to the commissioner addressing three areas, the whole 85th SAP, 120th Avenue, and the urban flex zone. I have many more questions and suggestions for the 120th Avenue study. I also have concerns regarding the street type sections and numerous items that could be in transportation as it relates to the form-based code, but that maybe I should put all that into my next letter. Um, tonight, I'd like to highlight just two areas, um, safety and transit. Vision zero and safety features are necessary for pedestrian priority areas. Safely moving people, as you all know, is not an amenity, but the very first principle in the transportation master plan. These are non-negotiables and should be very clearly stated in the station area plan and the new form base code as must do's. Designing streets for people means that you put in place infrastructure that ensures safer environments regardless of and despite the choices of drivers. I agree with council member Pascal's comments at the November 15th briefing that bike and pedestrian spaces should be more clearly delineated and separated. A shared use path becomes unsafe and untenable in a dense urban area as the station area is likely to be. This should be also specified in the description of major, major thoroughfare street type. Design for safe, success and safety now, rather than trying to shoehorn in mobility facilities in the future. I would also like to reemphasize Transportation Commissioner McGee's October recommendation to reduce speeds 
in the station area and have expressed this to council and the planning commission. We have to stop thinking of 85th as an old state highway with a bunch of strip malls on the side and start thinking of it as a densely populated major urban area with the street. Lowering the vehicle speeds helps everyone using the space, reducing injury and death, including for those in the vehicles. My letter had several other function and structural improvements that should be included to improve safety in what has been called a pedestrian priority area. I see very little in the plans that include the infrastructure needed for successful transit-based urban area. Of course, if I had my greatest wish in this area, I would have put a dedicated uh, center bus lane down 85th. Besides excellent transit flow and reliability, the center lane dedicated busway had the additional benefit of providing safe pedestrian refuge uh, for crossing wide multi-lane arterials like 85th. I believe this arrangement will be where we'll inevitably end up in the future and would have liked to have seen this happen now and be integrated into the design and build of the 85th BRT station. But pun intended, I think that train has left the station. Short of that, I have included in my communication with the commission many ideas for how 85th should accommodate safely and efficiently transit, pedestrian, and cycling modes of travel. I appreciate your time and consideration. Thank you. Do we have other comments from the audience virtually or in person? I know that's it. Okay, first up is a presentation on the Lake Street, Lake Washington Boulevard promenade analysis and concept development study, uh, an update from the previous um, great presentation we had. With us today is Victoria Kovacs, a transportation planner with the city and Fred here. There he is, okay. Brett Schaff from the uh, Transpo Group, project manager. Welcome. Uh, good evening, commissioners. I'm just going to introduce really quick the study, and then I'll hand it off to Brett to run the presentation. But just as a reminder, this is the second part of a two-part study of a promenade on Lake Street South, Lake Washington Boulevard Northeast. There's been public discussion of a promenade since 2014. It's identified in the 2015 master plan, and there was renewed interest in the corridor following the height of the COVID pandemic and a recommendation from the Off the Walls Task Force. So this study is looking at the multimodal use in the corridor, opportunities and constraints, and developing design alternatives to look at uh, improving multimodal conditions on the corridor. And with that, I'll hand it over to Brett Schock, who will walk through um, everything we kind of presented to you at the September commission meeting and what we have next and where we're going with council in January. Brett. All right, great. Thanks, Victoria. Uh, let me share my screen here. Okay, so let's start this presentation up. Okay. Um, yeah, so as Victoria mentioned, uh, this is our second update to Transportation Commission uh, on the Lake Washington Boulevard Promenade. 
um, a brief outline of things we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, Victoria kind of already went over the, the project need and purpose. Um, as she mentioned, I will review uh, the cross-section options. There were five of them uh, that were presented um, at the previous meeting in September. Um, those cross-section options have been um, evaluated uh, with Transportation Commission's feedback and developed into full-length options uh, throughout the entire corridor. Uh, you saw some draft versions of those last time. Uh, they're a little bit more refined now. Um, I'm going to touch on crosswalk improvements as that's one of the um, the quick wins, uh, some of the early things that could be implemented uh, regardless of the, um, the corridor option chosen uh, for the promenade. Uh, and then go over briefly the evaluation criteria uh, that were used to select um, a leading candidate, um, as well as kind of the results of, uh, of that evaluation. So uh, the five options that were presented last time, uh, the first one being a multi-use path. So this would be um, you know, widening the existing sidewalk, um, basically taking both of the bike lanes and kind of attaching them to the sidewalk and also taking the, away the parking on one side and creating a very... Um, you know, expansive um, promenade area that would have, um, you know, mixed facilities for walking and biking. Uh, this would have a lot of opportunities for streetscaping and lighting. Um, but the the biggest thing here is that this comes at a very high cost, uh, as well as an impact on existing facilities, um, you know, whether that's existing street trees, um, existing development, uh, or the utilities uh, that are currently on the corridor that would need to be um, addressed and updated um, to be able to implement this section. So we looked at taking away um, parking on the east side, um, and uh, you know keeping it on the um, on the west side of the corridor and having protected bike lanes. Uh, so this would uh, keep the bike lanes either at grade or raised up uh, with a buffer between uh, those uh, two-way uh, bike lanes and the travel lanes. Uh, so this would put all of the bikes um, on the west side of the corridor. We also looked at an option that keeps the parking on the west side. Um, still consolidating the bike lanes um, together into a two-way facility uh, on the west side but then you know having that extra buffer of not only um, you know a physical and striped buffer uh, to the parking lane but then the parking lane is also separating uh, the two-way uh, bike facility from the travel lanes and in all of these options we're basically keeping the um, the east side sidewalk exactly where it is um, and then the um, you know the dimensions that you see here the half inch represents the extra curb uh, for the sidewalk so this is kind of keeping things where it, where they are today uh, we also considered, uh, you know, a median protected um, version of the the two-way bike facility and kind of raising that median up. Uh, whether that would include, um, you know, plantings and street trees would be an option, uh, but this was just one of the um, the options that could have a little bit more aesthetics to it. Um, you know, there would certainly be some maintenance uh, considerations that were brought up with this, as well as uh, you know the impact of the existing facilities, whether that's um, you know existing street trees or stormwater. Um, or uh, wet utilities um, in the corridor. And then one-way protected bike lanes would basically take the bike lanes that today are between the travel lanes and the parking lanes and move them outside to the curb, um, increasing the buffer space uh, by taking away one of the parking lanes. Um, but then the, um, the east side parking would be retained, but it would kind of float off the curb um, beyond uh, the one-way bike lane. So this would keep the bikes, um, you know, the northbound on the northbound lane side, southbound on the southbound lane side, as opposed to combining it into a two-way facility. Uh, and, the, you know, this section does carry the risk of dooring, um, you know, from the parked cars uh, into the bike lane. 
So uh, as I mentioned, you know, taking those sections which were presented last time and the feedback we received, um, and we changed these into some corridor options. So these are full length um, all the way from, uh, actually in some of them from Kirkland uh, Avenue, uh, right in the middle of downtown, uh, all the way to, um, to Lakeview Drive uh, and the signal at the south end of uh, the corridor that we looked at. So option one uh, is the protected two-way bike lanes uh, and retains the parking on the east side. Uh, so we are actually going to keep uh, in this option, keep the bike lanes at the street level. Uh, so this basically keeps the curbs where they are today, um, reallocates the space, puts all the bikes uh, you know, on the west side. And then um, there are a number of different buffer options. Um, you see here that um, the width of it is six and a half feet. That's uh, intentional to allow a future median uh, to be put in place and be able to have street trees or other plantings in there, as well as drainage facilities uh, that could help to manage the stormwater. Uh, a number of those options for the, the buffer protection were presented in the, um, the appendix to the report that was provided ahead of this meeting. Um, you know, we're showing um, planter boxes. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of a, an easy option to, to put in place, uh, but there are also uh, kind of off the shelf curbing options uh, with flexible posts, um, you know, that maybe aren't as aesthetically pleasing as a planter box could be. Um, but, you know, or maybe even a little uh, less expensive um, than this option. So, uh, and then because the two-way facility, um, you know, moves all the bikes to the west side, uh, this would have a bike uh, enhanced crossing at, uh, at Northeast 59th Street. So northbound cyclists at that point would cross over to the west side and then continue north all the way um, to Kirkland Avenue um, in this, uh, in that option. So option two uh, is very similar in terms of how it's treating uh, the active mode facilities. Um, you know, the sidewalks stay the same, curb lines stay the same. We have the at-grade uh, two-way bike facility on the west side. Um, the, the striped buffer, uh, you know, that we're showing the planter box in, but this time we were keeping the parking on the west side um, and looking at, you know, how that impacts things. Uh, you know, it certainly keeps the, the vehicles even further away um, from the sidewalks and the two-way bike facility on the west side. Um, but you know, because of the higher number of driveways uh, on the uh, on the west curb, uh, this does actually reduce the total number of um, parking spaces that can be retained. And you know, obviously, since we're taking away one parking lane already, uh, we want to be sensitive to um, making sure that we retain an appropriate amount of parking, not only for um, you know people trying to park at their homes, uh, but also deliveries and um, you know making space for um, for trash pickup and mail delivery and things like that. So option three uh, of the full length corridor uh, that we put together is a protected one-way bike lane. Uh, so this is using that section that keeps the northbound cyclists on, um, on the east curb and just kind of floats the parking lane out. Um, as I mentioned, you know, since dooring is a major concern, we widen the buffer on that east side uh, to the out, to outside of the parking lane. Uh, we'd still be able to put, um, you know, any one of the buffer treatment options, again, just showing the planter box here. Um, in that wide buffer, as well as on the buffer on the west side, um, you know, but this would um, keep the bikes in kind of the positions they are today and would not require northbound cyclists um, to have a crossing um, at 59th. They'd be able to continue all the way into downtown uh, on the same curb. And then option four that we put together is looking at that real wide shared use path, that first option, um, you know, and, and it was used for comparison purposes, you know, since we were going to evaluate these, we wanted to make sure that we looked at um, 
you know, at this option, because, you know, it does create the widest promenade, the most space, um, you know, especially for pedestrians. Um, but I do want to stress that when we looked at it, we did do it in a mixed um, bike and pedestrian space. We did not have a designated bike uh, area within the shared use path, um, you know, just because that that ends up being very similar to option one, if in the future option one or option two, um, the bike lanes are raised. So uh, this option was retained with a street tree um, at the um, at the curb line, um, you know, and again, that could be, um, a place for stormwater as well as, uh, to relocate utilities. So, uh, all right. So before we go into the crosswalks, uh, let me stop my share and switch, which screen I'm sharing here. Cause I do want to run through these corridor options with you. So, okay. Um, so this is looking at, um, 10th Avenue South, uh, just as a, a starting location uh, to kind of compare the different options. Uh, this is option one, which has the uh, the two-way cycle track um, on the west side, um, and then the parking retained on the east. So you can see some common treatments that are applied at all the different intersections here. Uh, we have this curb extension, uh, which gets pedestrians further out uh, than they are today. Um, it, it covers the parking area and it just shortens the total crossing distance. Uh, so the pedestrians are only crossing the two lanes of traffic. Um, we show some strategically placed planter boxes, but you know these could actually be um, even concrete islands. Uh, there was a couple examples of that that were shown in the, um, the appendix to the report. Um, that was provided, um, you know, that could provide a little bit more um, solid protection for pedestrians as they cross out of the vehicle lanes. Um, you know, but since this is a two-way bike facility, there would still be a, a crossing of sorts. Um, you know, pedestrians would have to mix with bike traffic uh, to reach the sidewalk um, on the west side. And then these red dots are just um, RRFB poles, uh, which we would be, um, you know, recommending at the crossings. So um, you know, what you see here, these shapes, uh, these are existing street trees, uh, you know, so those would be kept in place um, with this option. You know, they could be relocated in the future, um, but, you know, this option is kind of focused on something that can be done, um, you know, relatively quickly in, in the short term that doesn't have a, a huge impact on the corridor. Um, one other thing to talk about with this is, um, you know, we have these areas, uh, you know, especially north of 5th. Um, you can see the yellow and the green are, are um, existing driveways. So the yellow boxes are single family driveways or single access points uh, to a parking garage, whereas the green is uh, more of a carport type structure where you have a number of parking spaces that are right at the back of the sidewalk. Um, so in these areas, rather than having a very wide um, you know, planter box or other concrete median uh, in that buffer space. Uh, we're showing a more narrow, um, this yellow box is about the width of, um, you know, a, a curbing, whether it's extruded curbing or the, the plastic curbing I was talking about that also has the reflective post. And the reason for doing that is that it actually retains that six and a half foot buffer as kind of a, um, you know, utility space, kind of a flex space uh, would still be, um, you know, painted off. Um, you could even mount signs within these uh, these posts to discourage parking uh, in that area. But that would be a place not only for people to, um, you know, pull out of their driveways and utilize that space if needed um, before entering the travel lanes, but it would also be a place for, um, you know, delivery pull-offs, for garbage pickup, um, you know, for, for these areas where we do have, um, you know, more single family uses that we might have a little bit more traffic, um, you know, than those um, areas where we have kind of the multifamily and the, the driveways are a little bit more spaced out. Um, you know, this is kind of the, the one tweak to the section. Um, 
and I do have a version of that here. So this is the section you saw earlier, um, you know, with the two-way uh, bike facility with the planter box um, in the in the buffer, and then this would be at those driveways. Um, you know, that there would just be a a post or a curb or something provided, um, you know, basically right up against the west side of the baller, or I'm sorry, of the buffer, and that the rest of that buffer space would be available if needed um, for those. Um, for those small stretches. And that's basically between um, second and fifth, and then another stretch um, just south of 10th Avenue up to Marsh Park, um, where that treatment would be used. And then as mentioned, uh, you know, the, when we initially started, we were looking at second Ave as the northern boundary of, um, of these um, of these concepts, but it actually made sense, uh, you know, with the the Lake Washington Loop to kind of extend this to a cycle track uh, concept all the way to Kirkland Ave, uh, where there's going to be the raised intersection. Um, so this is an area that we have not reached out, uh, you know, to these businesses. Obviously, this would be a major impact to parking. Um, we'd have to incorporate some sort of um, space for deliveries. Um, you know, especially for, you know, restaurants and things like that. But, uh, you know, as far as uh, active mode connectivity and safety, carrying this all the way to Kirkland Ave, um, you know, definitely has some benefits. Uh, people would be able to kind of drop down by the lake rather than having to kind of continue through these areas where there's very limited um, separated space uh, for bikes, um, you know, and there's a lot of uh, mixed traffic until you get um, out back to the uh, to the bike lanes that are present north of here. So um, the other thing I wanted to touch on with these concepts, and you can kind of see that the, the section just kind of continues uh, to the south, the blue being where we have parking on the east curb. Um, each of the, uh, the existing crossings uh, kind of get this treatment with the bump out. Um, but when we get down to 59th, uh, down near Houghton Beach Park, uh, so this is the area where uh, we kind of transition. So uh, the northbound cyclist would cross 59th, and then there would be a um, a curb extension that would bring the cyclists up onto the curb level and then encourage them to cross at an RFB. Uh, and this would be where those northbound cyclists would then continue uh, in the two-way bike facility. So south of 59th, um, you know, we, we kind of go back to the, the bike lanes on each side, uh, taking uh, the opportunity to add to some of the buffer space here and widen those buffers to traffic. But, um, you know, south of 59th, there is a need to have these left turn lanes into the various driveways, um, as well as maintaining the lane configuration as we get to Lakeview Drive. Uh, option two, um, again, the, the big difference here is just that the parking is on um, is on the west side. Uh, the, the bike facility, the active mode facilities are the same. Um, the crossing I talked about at 59th is the same. Um, we have the extension. Um, you know, to the north up to Kirkland Ave uh, of the two-way facility. It's just that instead of the parking being, um, you know, on this east curb, you, you can just see, you know, in, in the previous concept, if I go, sorry for the rapid movement here. Um, you know, you can see that between second and fifth, there, there's a lot of blue here uh, where there would be open parking spaces um, as compared to when you look at option two, between second and fifth, there's a lot less blue, um, you know, just because you have a number of driveways and other uh, places that are going to cut into your available parking. So um, option three, um, which is the protected um, one-way bike lanes, um, some of the biggest difference here is, you know, at your crossings, um, you know, you are going to have the option to still have some sort of curb extension uh, where pedestrians can come out. Uh, this gray would be a um, 
a median type uh, element, a, a hardscape that would block the parking lane. Uh, so pedestrians wouldn't necessarily enter the traffic lane until you know the same width that they would in option one or two, um, but they would have to cross each bike lane individually. And um, you know it's maybe not as comfortable as a facility as having uh, the curb extension itself. So, but you know, it's still a good protection and um, you know an improvement on what we have out there today. So this is certainly a feasible option. Um, you know, it does not have the crossing at 59th, you know, down here at 59th is just more of a, um, you know, kind of a typical crossing, um, you know, that we would have the RFBs, but the bikes would just continue to the north um, along this side. And then uh, we do have, um, you know, a layout here for having the, the full size shared use path, uh, everything on the west side uh, that, you know, pushes all the lanes to the east. Um, but, you know, again, this is an option that would require a lot of um, other improvements, a lot of other changes to the, the stormwater and the wet utilities uh, and carry a much higher cost with it. So um, I'm going to switch back to the PowerPoint and we can for sure revisit. Um, you know, I figured I would just kind of go through things and then, uh, you know, take your questions afterwards. Um, and I'd be happy to bring those, um, those roll plots back up. So. Um, okay, so I touched on the crosswalks a bit. Um, the recommendation um, is that uh, at all 10 of the crossings um, in the corridor to standardize the RFBs. Uh, right now, we actually have two different treatments. There's some RFBs that are overhead, some that are post-mounted. And, you know, for just predictability of the corridor, uh, whether it's for the drivers or the pedestrians, um, having all of those RFBs be post-mounted uh, would especially if we're reducing the section, um, would be the recommendation. Um, the crossings at 2nd, 10th, and 59th would certainly be the highest priority. Uh, 59th would certainly be a priority, especially if option one or two uh, were the, uh, the selection by council, uh, because you do need to transition the bikes, uh, the northbound bikes at that point. Uh, 10th, just because there have been a couple of wrecks or a couple of crashes there, uh, as well as, uh, you know, the land use in that area. Um, 10th is certainly a high priority. And then second has unfortunately experienced some of the highest numbers of crashes uh, involving pedestrians. So that would be a high priority um, crossing to improve. And then I did want to mention, uh, Victoria um, passed this late breaking news to me that uh, second and fifth, uh, putting RFBs on those crossings was actually included in the recently passed uh, TBD um, transportation benefit district projects. So uh, that is good news. Uh, some other quick win improvements at the crossings uh, would be illumination. Uh, we did do a uh, evaluation of the entire corridor for illumination and found that there are several crossings where the um, there could be improvements, um, you know, to to bring the illumination up to standards, um, so that we don't have you know pedestrians crossing uh, in the dark. Uh, even with the flashing lights, you know, you certainly want to provide as much illumination as you can, and uh, ideally that illumination would be ahead of the crossing the way the drivers are approaching it. So it actually requires. Um, you know, strategic placement of the elimination poles. Um, renewing and standardizing the markings, uh, you know, those that you see in the picture here are pretty new. Uh, this is the 10th um, crossing, but there are a few that are, um, you know, just kind of worn away and just making sure that uh, it's the same crossings everywhere, uh, again, for that predictability for drivers and pedestrians. And then the curb extensions, which would be dependent on the corridor option. Uh, you know, options one and two kind of have that curb extension that's built into the curb itself. Um, whereas uh, option three has the curb extension that um, is just kind of a, a block in the um, in the parking lane itself uh, so that the bikes can still continue northbound along the curb. Um, so I want to touch on the evaluation. Um, we took the uh, Transportation Commission's feedback um, 
and uh, separated out uh, some of our safety factors by mode. So we looked at it specifically for bikes, for pedestrians, and for vehicles as well uh, to see if you know we were mitigating some of those uh, crash risk factors that were uh, in the uh, the local road safety plan uh, for the entire city, but also for the crash history in the corridor itself. Uh, we wanted to improve comfort and lower stress levels for active modes. Uh, an intuitive facility, that was one that was brought up at the last um, Transportation Commission. Uh, we want to make something that's easy for drivers to use as well as those um, walking and biking. Um, maintenance is definitely a consideration in making sure that we can clear uh, whatever facility we put in. Uh, looking at phasing and quick wins, uh, you know, obviously the crossings can be a quick win, but, um, you know, trying to find a, uh, an option that creates a promenade in the short term, that we're not talking about something that's going to take five to 10 years to get in place. Um, accommodating the existing conditions and uses, so that gets back to some of those driveways, you know, especially the carport style, uh, as well as considering things like, uh, you know, garbage pickup and um, mail drop off and um, package delivery. And then relative cost is certainly something that we want to uh, consider in the evaluation. So uh, as we started to actually evaluate these different options, uh, several of the items that we either had before or that were brought up by Transportation Commission last time uh, that you see listed here, uh, you know, there really wasn't much difference between the different options. Uh, you know, all of them kind of provide a traffic calming benefit. All of them have a physical separation between the modes. Um, so we, we kind of sorted these into screening criteria, and these are just kind of basic things that um, you know, we wanted to acknowledge that we considered these uh, in selecting the four options that we did uh, to evaluate further. So each of these screening criteria are kind of, um, you know, baked into all four of the options that you see. And then this is the result of the evaluation. Um, you know, if you have questions, we can talk about, you know, kind of what went into each of these um, these different ratings. But this is a method uh, called choose by advantages. So, you know, we look at the criteria and then we look at each of the options. And if that option has an advantage over the others for that evaluation criteria, it gets one point. If it has a significant advantage, uh, it actually gets two points. So that's the double circle that you see here. Uh, and that's results in a uh, scoring uh, where option one and option two are, uh, you know, kind of the leading uh, candidates. Um, the teal bar that you see there at the bottom, um, you know, because safety and comfort are such a big deal, uh, you know, and, and that's really where we want to prioritize our efforts. Uh, we actually did an evaluation where we doubled the points that were in there. So, you know, if something scored two points for, um, you know, for, for instance, the first category there, option one and option two scored two points each, they actually get four points, uh, you know, when we prioritize uh, the safety and comfort, which really, um, you know, even further highlights, you know, that those two are probably the ones that are um, most recommended. And then just for comparison purposes, we also, excuse me, took a look at the no build, uh, you know, and if it had any advantages, which, you know, obviously in terms of like um, maintenance and um, cost, you know, a no build would, would certainly have advantages in that category. So some of the phasing considerations, uh, you know, as we're moving forward uh, and, and presenting this to council for, uh, you know, their thoughts and their um path forward. Uh, you know, the quick wins, restriping, uh, you know, three of the options mostly involve just rechannelization of the existing corridor. So whichever one is chosen can, um, you know, be undertaken with just a restriping effort, which is a fairly quick thing to implement. Um, bringing in those physical barriers, you know, if it's something that is a little bit more mobile, like the planters or, um, you know, even some of those curbing options that have the flexible post, um, you know, those can be implemented pretty quickly. And then some of the crossing improvements that I discussed, especially at those um, three high priority intersections. And then future phases, um, you know, doing a raised and curbed buffer, uh, you know, that could be something that's implemented with any of the three options uh, that have the buffer space. 
Uh, but I think with all of them, uh, you know, there, there needs to be consideration of relocating and upgrading utilities as well as stormwater conveyance, um, you know, especially for option one and two, um, the space of the buffer is kind of designed to move those elements um, into the buffer, uh, which would certainly add to the cost and, um, you know, duration of, of upgrading in the future. Um, replacing and relocating some of the street trees, especially those that have caused damage to the existing sidewalks would be something that would be need to be considered with future phases. Um, you know, and then widening the sidewalks themselves. Uh, you know, there could be locations where, um, you know, the buffer space does not need to be as wide, and there could be an option to add, um, you know, a couple feet to the existing sidewalk on the west side uh, to create some more space for pedestrians. And as well, uh, you, you could have some options to widen, uh, you know, if the street trees are either replaced with a smaller tree uh, in the current location or if the street tree was moved to the buffer. So uh, with that, I will um, open it up to questions and I will stop sharing so I can bring up other elements if you want me to. I had a couple um, questions here for you, Brett. Um, on option one, the parking is on the east side. Do you have a sense of how many people park there that cost to um, where the destination is the beach waterway um we don't have we don't didn't do a study of you know where people were going when they left their cars but um you know the, in the previous parking studies there was a pretty even balance uh of which side of the street the existing parking was being used uh when we were out there okay um i just maybe a little concerned about people just jaywalking instead of going to the nearest yeah, so there is, um, you know, that there are 10 crossings in the corridor, which means, um, you know, on average, it's only about a tenth of a mile to the nearest crosswalk. Um, you know, so it, it is, it would certainly require some crossings uh, for people to get to the parks, but, um, you know, that they are going to be fairly near to a, uh, a crossing that would have eventually, a, you know, a curb extension and an RFP. Uh, my second question had to do with maintenance of the bike lanes in the options one and two, where they were recessed um, below the, the top of the sidewalk. So did you have any thoughts about how those would be maintained? Yeah, so um, uh, Victoria shared that uh, the city does have a, um, a sweeper that has a width of about four feet, uh, four and a half feet. So it would be able to get, um, you know, into the two-way bike facility and, and maintain that. Um, you know, with automated equipment. Okay. Thanks for those clarifications. Other questions? Uh, I've got, I guess, more of a concern than a question. Um, with the having the two-way uh, bike lanes, um, mm -hmm. that if that crossing isn't uh, quick enough and safe enough that I'm concerned that a lot of bicyclists would can just continue without crossing into the two-way bike lane uh, on that northbound. Yeah, so, um, I mean, cyclists certainly have that option. Um, you know, this isn't to say that, you know, they can't take the lane if it's someone that's a lot more confident. Um, but, you know, there would be signage um, the way that the bikes would, um, 
the, the bike lane would basically have a ramp directly in front of it. So if you're continuing north, you would ramp up to sidewalk level and then it would be, um, you know, directing you across at the crossing. So, um, you know, the two-way facility is really meant more, I mean, it's certainly something that we would want everyone to take, but it is intended more to um, appeal to the kind of all ages and abilities crowd, um, you know, and those who are super confident that, you know, want to continue to take the lane, um, you know, they can do that. Does that get to your your concern? Okay. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I really like option one. I think I think that's 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 that that we might kind of vote on it. But um, I, I like the you know I was kind of AHA's court because I'm I'm kind of a biker. I like just you know not having forced to cross the street and so forth. But I, I do get from uh, talking to folks afterwards after the meeting that we had on, in September. You know, having a, a shared use path, you know, well, a dedicated bike path that's wider and so forth, and be, be able to maintain it. Right, and, uh, I think that's a it's a really a big deal. Um, I do have a question though on why the why the determination to end at North 50, 59th instead of going all the way down to North Fifty Eighth, and then there's kind of a, that design for Option One has kind of a center center turn lane or dedicated turn lanes in that that stretch. Why wasn't the, the the cross section carried all the way through to fifty eighth? Um, here, let me go to that one. Um, that was because of the need. Um, there was for um, you know, for for traffic operations reasons, um, the city requested that we keep the left turn pocket into uh, into this commercial facility as well as into the the Houghton Beach Park uh, parking lot. So to be able to accommodate that left turn pocket, um, we weren't able to um, to continue um, with the two-way facility down to 58th. Okay. Great. No, yeah, that was it. That was my question. Actually, I'd kind of quick add a quick note onto that location, like the, the transitions to, to get in and out of those turn lanes seem rather short. What was the design speed used for those? Uh, that was a 30, 30 mile an hour design speed. Okay. That may be something to take a closer look at. Um, one other broad question I have in the corridor is I'm seeing parking um, in a number of options, it didn't, you know, kind of independent of which option, but um, showing very close to the intersection corners. And is the city following the typical 30 foot setback from intersections for RCW um, for parking stalls in the vicinity of an intersection? Um, yes, we, so because of the curb extensions that does set some of them back, um, they, I believe are, I will verify, but I believe they are set back, um, yeah, 30 feet from the, um, from the curb. Some of it is that, you know, that they are pushed out um, into the street a, a little bit. So it, it's a little deceiving, but yeah, I will verify that, um, that we've got that set up. And, and I, I do want to stress, you know, this is still, you know, planning level design. I mean, we're not, we're not into, um, you know, detailed design on some of these elements. Of course. I, I know that since these are public documents that the council may be looking at and counting stalls individually, since we do have them displayed there, it may be good. Um, like the 63rd intersection was one example where the, you see parking up on both sides up on the curb return. Um, and when we think about site distance requirements, making sure that we have um, safe crossings for pedestrians, 
driver to driver visibility um, that we're showing <clears throat> kind of a safe condition as well as an accurate potential count of parking stalls through there. Cause I'm sure that question will come from council of how many stalls will be left versus how many are potentially out there today. Um, kind of one other just high level question we have here is, is there a specific option that's being recommended for transportation commission input or are we just providing and a feedback across all of the options tonight. What I've heard is we're supposed to be uh, back on the second round. I apologize, Joel, I can't really hear. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so my understanding is that we're weighing in on your second round of, of uh, evaluation here providing input on that and that goes forward to council. Yes. Yeah. And, and we are, we are noting to council that, that as we've done to you that, you know, that the options one and options two, um, you know, they, they are the, the highest ranked for our evaluation criteria. We, we are not using the term, um, you know, preferred alternative at, at this point. Uh, you know, we want to present this information to council and, um, you know, kind of let them make that decision. Yeah, so I guess a similar yeah. presentation to you. <laughs> yeah, it's more just kind of an understanding of um, we're meeting tonight, we're talking about them. You know, is there an ask of the commission to have a specific preference that we would vote on or anything like that that may provide some extra information to council, even if it's not resulting in a, this is the preferred of the city. I'll chime in and yeah. say that would be helpful in going to council. And then additionally, when we're looking at um, the various evaluation criteria and how the, you know, how the consultant and staff arrived at our conclusions, um, it's also helpful to have feedback from the commission on, are we perceiving that correctly when we're, you know, double weighting certain criteria or, um, or saying this is important or not important you know, those kinds of things are also helpful for us to have as we, you know, put together the final report to council. Um, so I have uh, some questions, comments here. Um, I think kind of following on some of the comments about the uh, south of 59th, um, share some of the concerns and questions asked there and also I'm wondering if, you know, once it is just the one-way bike lanes, I see that there's, I think it was like two-foot buffer. Um, are those, do those have any other sort of vertical um, separation beyond the just paint? The two-foot width would be enough to accommodate um, some of those vertical elements. You can still do, um, you know, the, the vertical post or the curving with the post in it uh, within that two-foot buffer. Okay. Um, and I think generally, I, I would, uh, I think some of it, it sounds like some of your analysis, you were looking at a 30 mile per hour speed, and I would like to see this whole corridor, this promenade, um, treated as a pedestrian zone. And so, you know, a maximum speed limit of like 25 or even 20 miles per hour, where it's clear that it's like human scale, human speed. And, um, and, you know, just really show that the priority are the people um, in sort of the unprotected 
modes of travel of getting around. And so wanted to put that out there. And then um, the stretch from Second Avenue to Kirkland Avenue that, I mean, I, I really like, you know, I, I agree that it makes sense to go all the way to where that scramble is. Um, as far as kind of the commu communication, once we kind of take this to public engagement, broader public engagement, um, being really mindful uh, of how we are talking about sort of phasing the project um, such that we're not saying like, we're just going to do the whole thing at once. It's all or nothing. Um, and, you know, maybe we get to do some, you know, a lot of the bikeway, uh, two-way bikeway, and then, um, but up to second, and then eventually get to um, the scramble. Uh, and I, I, I think I'll just generally say, since we had that whole, you know, is this, are we trying to come up with any sort of recommendation? And um, I prefer option one. And I really don't like option four. <laughs> I don't like the mixed uh, shared use pathway. AJ. Uh, I just wanted to second the uh, comment that uh, it would be good to see the speed reduced on that road. Thanks, Patrick. Yeah, actually, I do have a follow-up question. I think this is September, September. We talked about, you know, um, you know, we're taking a lot of parking away, and uh, especially if we're doing option one or option two, and and it's it's ranking higher. It, are there is there any language or plans for what to do in mitigation of taking away the parking? What's the story? What's the approach? I mean, for me, not living close there, you know, you know, be able to go to the promenade and enjoying it. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to drive, unfortunately, for part of it. And so, you know, last time we talked about, you know, how do we treat folks that are traveling to enjoy the promenade? You know, especially now we're taking parking away. What's the story in terms of, that, you know, that treatment? So the parking study that um, preceded this work um, found that the, the parking usage combined with the availability of parking on the side streets, um, you know, was sufficient uh, to still provide capacity for parking. Um, in September's uh, report, we included some, um, some mitigation strategies, um, you know, everything from um, wayfinding signage, um, uh, permitting was discussed, um, uh, I forget what some of the other options were, but you know there, there were a couple of parking uh, strategies presented, um, mostly which were just ways of um, either setting aside parking for uh, you know either residential or park use, um, as well as um, you know just making sure that people knew that the side streets were available and are you know relatively close um, as parking options. Okay, are there any plans to perhaps you know evaluate you know if those are adequate in terms of striping or, you know, I, I guess you looked at strategies, but are there any recommendations as part of this, or is that going to be a separate effort to improve parking? I, I could jump. So that would be a separate effort. So part of the, you know, part of the thought processes here is evaluating the, the different kind of options and seeing what, um, you know, interest from the commission and council is, and if they're 
you know, if there's a lot of momentum around going further with a particular option, then that would be some of those follow-on steps is, um, like, like Brett said, um, it, it looks, it looked like in the near term, you know, there was parking capacity, you know, with no changes. And then, um, we would, you know, likely if we got more into an option, we would look at more of those detailed, um, detailed steps to help address um, because there was the the availability of parking was not even throughout the corridor you know the north end near downtown is very highly utilized and so the impacts of course would be much greater there than like the middle section where utilization was fairly low um, and so that's those are the kinds of things that we would have to figure out how to address Okay, good, good. Yeah, because for me, you know, like, you know, peak time during going to the park, uh, going on the ends, those are the ones that were. Yeah, on a uh, on a, um, a hot, on a warm day, a hot day. It's yes, on the, especially on that north end, um, it it would be different. There would be there would there would not be the perception would be is there's not enough parking, but overall, um, there you know it's not like so often you know it's not as severe as people perceive but um for for downtown for example it would be a, a significant change didn't the study also show that there were people who just lived up the street that part closer and that was unusual yeah too. and that was that is a good so that, point that, is that, those, that yeah that that idea of <laughs> if it's harder to park there, there is probably some parking, you know, some optional trips that people would be like, well, it's a big enough hassle, I'll just walk. Yeah. And just to clarify the four options, the corridor options that Brett presented all assume removing parking on one side, at least. Um, Maybe Kurt asked us, but did we identify how many parking spaces would re be removed? That, the council will ask that question. For sure. So yeah, I don't remember. I, I don't remember seeing that. I think in the memo Brian it said twenty. Oh, okay. Um, but that was assuming you. Know, Brian brought up the point about maybe there's not enough space uh, to the intersection saved. So maybe I'd have to go back and look at the original parking and see if there was a count done of the existing. But yeah, our, our I think it was option one retains like 160 spaces, and then um, option two retained like 120. When you flipped it to the west side, so I was just noticing on the scoring here, Brett, that you know options one and two are really close, uh, really hard to like say that one's def definitely better than the other. But two areas I saw of a difference was the redu minimized reduction of on-street parking, and then the combination of mailbox trash pickup and short driveways. And those the second option did the score as well. So uh, maybe look at that again, maybe see if those are really that close or if there's maybe a greater separation scoring. I think- Yes. Uh, go ahead. I was, say, I was just gonna add another, um, I, I'm remembering the options right, um, another advantage to option one, where the parking is on the east side, is um, it's another kind of buffer between that sort of narrower sidewalk where pedestrians are and moving traffic, they have the parking lane buffer. Yeah. Yeah. Shielding. 
see. Three, did you have any thoughts? I just had an opinion that I like option one better because it acts sort of like a buffer to the east side because of the parking. And yeah. Oh, and I also like the thought to reduce traffic because it's going to be a busy area. Thank you. Raphael, did you have anything you're listening in? I know. Yeah, I think uh, um, it's more of a suggestion. I mean, thanks, Brad, for, for, for the detailed discussion and presentation. I was just wondering for completion, for, for any such option, if we could make some sort of comment or, or statement about you know, flow and density and changes to max uh, density, uh, speaking strictly on, on car uh, traffic. So changes in max flow, I meant, sorry. So basically in a flow density diagram, is, is any one of these options lower, lowering Q you know, significantly or keeping it the same? It's not clear to me. They're all the same. Um, okay. Yeah, they, they all retain one lane each direction. And then the, the two-way left turn lane south of 59th. Okay, so, so essentially, no changes to maximum flow on the corridor with either option. I think correct. I, I think making that statement very clear to the public would help uh, as we move forward. That's all. Thanks. Well, that would change though if you're changing speed limit, right? For any such parameter change, yes, right? Like I'm assuming super full uh, pedestrians, you know, fantastic bikes and everything. Uh, what's the change to Q for the cars? I mean, it could reduce the volume of cars because people are more comfortable walking and biking on the corridor. That, that is not max flow. That is a count. I'm talking about road capacity. The capacity is the same. Yeah, capacity is the same. Throughput. Good. So flow over time. So are we are we as uh, are we recommending a, a reevaluation of slower speeds or are we just adding that as a footnote? What I'm hearing is that it's something that we would prefer to see looked at. Yeah. And that is something that um, is included on the work plan for the commission as well as in the the budget, not related specifically this corridor, but a, a citywide evaluation of how we set speeds and um, current speed limits on, on, um, on streets in the city. I was just thinking as we were talking, Brett, um, that um, park that's at 58 there, and then I think Brian brought up an issue with just kind of the um, access in there, maybe make it think about maybe one-way access in there. So it's one-way access, some access control into that park, parking lot. That might help just with safety issues too. Other questions, Faith? I know you're just dying. So. Yeah. 
You know, I always have more to say about this. Um, I, I guess the only other thing that I didn't um, include in my comments earlier is just sort of that that it's a 10-foot width for the two-way um, bike lanes, five feet each way, and that might feel a little tight. Um, and so I think it's, there's what, six, six feet, six and a half feet or something like that in that buffer. Um, and if uh, there's, if it would make sense to move, you know, like a foot of that to, from the buffer to widen the bike lanes. Um, at the same time, Brett, I heard you make the point that, you know, the, the nice thing about that wider buffer zone is it's, um, it gives uh, like delivery vehicles and garbage trucks a, a little bit of a space to be not completely blocking the lane. So yeah, you, especially was there thought given to kind of that, you know, how do you come up with um, that two-way bike lane being 10 feet? Is that sort of a best I mean, practice or? Yeah, I mean, 10 feet is kind of the the standard, uh, five, five foot for the lane. Um, you know, that that's, it, it's a minimum, but it, but it's kind of the standard width. Um, the six and a half feet was, yeah, it was a combination of the availability of it for, um, you know, the garbage and the, the driveway access at those single family and carport areas. Um, but also the um, accommodation of a future uh, raising of that buffer, you know, at, at six and a half feet, that's enough space to um, be able to put some stormwater elements in there uh, and do some uh, infiltration. Uh, it's enough space to be able to put, um, you know, basically any any species of street tree without uh, a lot of um, constriction on the on the roots, um, you know, and keep those street trees healthy if that's what's chosen to be there. Um, you know, it's it's even enough room to be able to um, kind of combine things and maybe even put, um, you know, some of the utilities um, down that buffer and, and put the lids in there so that, if, you know, if they need to access that for maintenance, um, either from above ground or if they need to get in the ground, uh, you know, it might limit uh, future impacts to uh, either the vehicle lanes or the bike facility. Uh, if both sides of the bike lanes of that two-way space is have raised curbs, and that sort of makes that 10 feet feel even skinnier because if there's just nowhere to go if you're having to dodge someone else coming toward you erratically, um, unless you're a really skilled bike rider who can quickly hop up on a curb, but um, just something to think about. I'll chime in real quick because I realized when I was um, sharing comments earlier, I didn't mention I do prefer option one as well. Um, and then one other thing that I would also support is lower speed limit is that will help with some of the site distance kind of considerations, both at intersections, but also at all the driveways. Um, and then some of the recent input we got um, that was discussed earlier about the 85th area had a recommendation about hardened center lines. And that's something that may be considered through here is having some sort of center line hardening um, to slow some of the turns, but also just access control. Um, if it makes sense in certain areas to reduce left turns and conflict points throughout here, which would help increase safety for cars that are waiting to turn. And I also have heard things about um, uh, people who live out the corridor being concerned about cruising and and um, those kinds of activities, particularly in the summer. So maybe these treatments would help reduce some of that as well. Some of the speeds. Yeah, noise. Noise. Yeah. One thing to consider with the center line hardening, though, is that um, you, know, you already are pushing on street parking only to one side. 
um, and that would pretty severely limit people's options, uh, you know, if they are coming from a certain direction to, to be able to park. How does putting a curb at the center line affect parking when it's only in one direction of the roadway? Like, are you um, thinking of like doing a U-turn in the middle yeah. of the street to be able to park? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, U-turns. Yeah, there's not enough street width with two ten-foot lanes typically to do a. U-turn. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yep. Yeah, it's too narrow. All right, never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Your thoughts, Patrick. or AJ, any more closing thoughts? Raphael? All good. Okay. All right, on time, it looks like. Thank you for a great presentation, Brett. Um, wish you good luck in your presentation to council. What I'm hearing is that uh, option one is sort of like the preferred here. Um, sort of the council commission. Yeah. Um, but I think just looking at the scores a little bit more uh, between one and two might help to maybe sway that one way or the other. Okay, great. Well, thank you, everyone. Great. All right. Next up is a familiar face for the city, um, Ray Steiger, uh, the ATP project manager with the city. Uh, is going to speak about the recent. Um, Consideration of the Transportation Benefit District implementation. Um, I understand there was a uh, um, feedback uh, at a public meeting last night. Um, Ray, did you want to give us some insight on that? And, and your other thoughts? Yeah, actually, I, uh, I'll defer to my my team here. Uh, probably Julia um, may have a better update on that at that meeting. The council, uh, yes, yeah. Ray, they did they did approve it. They did adopt it. The, the uh, car fee would go into effect January of 2024. And in the meantime, um, the city is using um, school safety zone camera funding mm-hmm. to fund, um, it's about 2 million yep. to fund. I mean, the idea would be, well, we don't wanna wait till 24 to get the projects running, raise, we're getting it running now. We're hiring PEs now. We're, um, you know, we we don't want to hesitate. We want to get going as soon as possible. So yeah, have we've got some work to do. I know Ray's working on this, identifying what could be the quick wins for twenty three, um, knowing that there are, you know, challenge more challenging projects as we go along, you know, but um, we're excited. To deliver, I don't know, almost close yep. to 40 projects in six to seven years. That's a perfect summary. I, I, uh, Joel had asked me to come and discuss a little bit about, um, just an update on. I have a, I've got a dozen slides here. I just wanted to go through and, uh, refamiliarize you with the, uh, the, the projects that uh, came out of the community processes and um, and then, you know, as Julie said, w- what we're planning to do moving ahead. So um, if that's okay, if that's, Joel, you, is that kind of what you'd like to see here? I can step through those. Yeah, that would be great, Ray. Thank you. Okay, 
All right, so let me see here. I'm going to have to I'll do a share screen. And here we go. Again, thanks, Kurt, for uh, intro. Good to see you guys. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'll just step, like I say, I'll step through a few of these slides. Um, I've been uh, working for the last year with a, uh, um, let me get this here. Been working on uh, pulling together some uh, loose ends over some uh, projects that we've had. Um, two, the two big projects or plans that have been, uh, I'm sure, um, part of your own work plan were the, we started in 2019 and we had sort of a hiatus with COVID. We weren't able to do the outreach like we uh, wanted to do, but those two plans um, uh, being completed over the last couple of years here are the safer routes to school, which looked at, um, you know, not just elementary schools, but all of the schools and junior high or middle schools and the high schools. And the other, um, which I know the Transportation Commission has been very involved with, is the active transportation plan that looks at, um, you know, other generators, uh, parks, uh, downtown transit, and other uh, situations where bikes and pedestrians and transit would be would be uh, needed. So kind of the summary of the safer routes to school, there's around almost $35 million worth of projects that came out of um, that plan. Um, it was finished and adopted uh, 2021. And um, in total, there's around 40 projects that represent all of the schools um, all the community, all the neighborhoods uh, throughout Kirkland have um, some projects in the plan. The second component of this uh, TBD that we'll talk about a little bit here are the projects that came out of the active transportation plan um, and again dispersed throughout the city represent pedestrian improvements, sidewalks, crossings, um, bike lanes, uh, separated facilities. And again, $110 million worth of projects in, you know, 2022 dollars. The primary um, objective or the kind of the concern that came out of the community was we don't want to wait 20, 30 years to have these projects delivered. We really want to accelerate this. And so um, this is where the Transportation Benefit District uh, became a tool that the city more seriously contemplated. This has actually been in discussion since uh, around 2010. Um, Transportation Benefit District uh, is a it's a taxing mechanism that's afforded to cities and counties, and uh, it can be done a couple of ways. Um, one way is through uh, more of an addition to impact fees through development, but the two primary ones that are used by cities are either a sales tax, cities will amend their sales tax, um, add to the sales tax to generate revenue, or uh, a vehicle license fee or car tab uh, that um, is on individuals when they when they renew their license. Um, they have to be, the funds that are generated from a transportation benefit district must be used on specifically identified transportation projects. It can't be moved over to general fund or to uh you know uh, police or fire or other it's it's its own entity and so there's strict um 
performance reports that have to be sent to the state and there's a number of criteria that we need to follow in order to spend the money and if you look at the cities uh when we were doing this earlier this summer not quite half but a little over 110 cities in washington are using that and um benefit district rates go from ten dollars up to forty dollars uh, some are using sales tax some are using a combination of both uh, the one we were evaluating and consider our council was considering was the um the license fee the car tab the primary goal that they were looking at was to to use a 20 dollar car tab and uh, a 20 dollar car tab can be uh implemented councilmatic they can as a majority they can make the decision to adopt that and that's what we've been discussing with the community that would give uh, an additional 1.3 million dollars uh, for transportation um and kind of the mechanism rather than having that slowly come in we will issue debt um for what in this case turned out to be about the top 15 20 percent of those projects identified in those two plans um there's also a component of this that we um we've targeted for maintenance of medians and um tree uh in the public right-of-way that's an area that um both for visibility and uh, safety we want to um enhance those areas and have staff dedicated to work on those so all of those factors were uh, incorporated into what the car tab would cover in early this year um, with the completion of those two plans um, we looked at all of the projects that were there 150 projects and we focused on those top priority projects and both plans have uh, a priority ranking in and of themselves and uh, for example their equity um, safety things are considered in the active transportation plan ranking uh, school walk routes it has to do with um, you know children walking uh, proximity to schools adjacent um, speeds of roads and so in total um, there's 26 million dollars worth of projects and I'll step through a little I'll step through those a little bit here in a bit and in order to deliver this um, you know as all as you may know projects don't just happen overnight there's there's a life to them we need to go through our consultant process and do design and public outreach and then we put our bid packages together uh, and then we administer the bid and and construct these and so um with the staffing that we have incorporated into the transportation benefit district as julie mentioned a couple new project managers and looking at the current funding this is sort of what we envisioned over the next six to seven years as we get further and further um, towards 23 these push out a little bit into we'll make a seven-year horizon so over the next um six years we would we would have this kind of revenue coming in and the transportation benefit district again making up most of the revenue that we will be spending on these uh, pedestrian and bike improvements the projects that we have include um, projects both in the pub, uh, pedestrian components and bicycle. 
Um, the picture on the left represents those projects that we've identified uh, to be funded with the TBD. And now I can say funded, not proposed to be funded, but these are the projects that uh, will be done. The circle are crossings. Um, Brett had mentioned a couple crossings um, along uh, the Equestrian Boulevard. Those are in the TBD. They'll be funded. And the lines represent sidewalks that we'll be installing. Um, both projects um, that are coming from the active transportation plan and school walk routes. And if you look at the um, dispersal of bike improvements over the next six years, um, a lot kind of spread throughout the community. A lot of these are connections. Uh, we are integrating some uh, new um, conflict zones, the green conflict zones, uh, looking at where those are throughout the community. You know, um, this, this picture here on the right showing what those conflict zones look like. Uh, we also have a couple new um, hawk projects. It's the, um, you're gonna have to help me with this one, Joel. It's um, it's the high visibility, uh, this, this one in Redmond, it's uh, actually a signal that uh, the pedestrians activate and it goes from yellow to red for stopping pedestrian or uh, vehicles. And then we've got a couple of greenways that we're planning to do one on 116th and then one up uh, 100th Avenue. Last night, um, to our pleasure, pleasant surprise, uh, the council adopted the ordinance creating this and uh, with just the mechanics of getting out to the Department of uh, licensing needs to implement this so we will be working with them we give them the information and then effective january 1 uh, when you renew your car tab in kirkland you will pay a 20 dollars fee um, and these that will go to the the repayment of the debt that we'll be issuing uh, to get these projects done internally with finance they're looking at bonding and how that's going to happen uh, there's some mechanics involved with that uh, we've started our recruitment process in order to deliver the projects. These are all new projects over and above what the CIP has. So we'll be adding two new project managers to help guide these through the process and deliver those. And uh, we will also, we're also budgeting for two new maintenance staff that will be tasked with working on the uh, medians and the, the trees and the public right of way. Um, in your packet, I have uh, given you a um, probably a better version to view than what this one is. Um, the projects that we'll be delivering, we have a time frame uh, over the next time, um, six to seven years. And what the attachment in the packet has is um, a way to sort of show what we're gonna be delivering to the community when. And these are the projects that we talked about with the community and that came out of the um, plans. So. Maybe just going up to the top, we have uh, a number of safer routes uh, that we'll be delivering in various neighborhoods. And then we have sort of a delivery timeframe from starting our consultant selection, doing all of our permitting, design, public outreach, and then construction, uh, and then our final closeout. So although they may get completed in 2025, we still have a lot of work that we need to do to get the finalized um, paperwork, get the contracts closed up. So in the packet, we have our safer routes to school projects and a number of crossings that primarily involve the RRFBs. We have a couple Hawks, as I mentioned. Um, oh, really? Right. Yeah. 
Um, did you click your link to bring up the the list? Yeah, let me let me see. That one must not have shared. I'll have to switch here. Okay, I think because I think that it uh, just didn't switch pop screens on me. Yeah, for anybody. Thank you. Thank you for calling it. Can you see this one now? Is there a list up there now? Yeah, it's still trying to share. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so again, the this is a, a handout that uh, would have been in the memo. Hopefully we, we got that out. Uh, a little bit of a description about the projects uh, they're from and to, kind of what side of the road they're on and the type of improvement that we have targeted. These are time frames um, and um, you know, taking into account the way inflation increases our costs. Uh, overall, uh, delivery is what we're using for ultimate project costs. And then you go down to our kind of our bottom line, um, this car tab uh, generating $21 million over the next uh, years to, to build this. We have both projects from the uh, school walk routes, and uh, the active transportation plan represented by crossings, sidewalks, um, green conflict link, uh, zones through a lot of the corridors, um, 124th Avenue, uh, 116th Street, uh, additionally up in 100, or 100th Avenue, 98th, and then a couple greenways uh, similar to what we're done on 128th Avenue that we recently completed in Northeast 75th Street, uh, similar to the uh, Stores to Shore project that are, is currently underway. And then we've also included some maintenance of, I noticed in the earlier presentation discussion about sidewalk panels that are broken and uh, we continue to work on those. Those are, um, you know, low cost, uh, but they take some design layout. So we've got some of those targeted over the next few years and also uh, adding some additional wheelchair ramps uh, throughout the community besides what are done with our overlay and um, various CIP projects. Um, so I, I that's sort of uh, the degree of my uh, presentation. I certainly, if you have any questions, I'm here for comments or however you'd like to do that. Uh, you know, I thought in your memo with that link that you provided with that GIS map was awesome, you know, but you just can't get to it. I don't know. How do you get to it without having this memo? Is there, I mean, mm. now we talked last time about like presenting, showing like what we're doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's you, an awesome map to have to show like this is what you gave for 20 bucks for the $20 car tab. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually in the process right now of um, we have our outreach team. We have a meeting in January and we're going to talk about um both the state report that's mandatory to send in and tying it to our financials and another report that will be similar to what you um, was what you see in when we did our street levy there's an annual report showing what your investments are happen what's happening um we haven't updated the uh tbd website right now but all of the candidate projects are there uh, we just haven't segregated those but that's a really good point that we will now that the decision has been made to move ahead, we're going to start putting that together. Yeah, and um, Patrick, we're also going to look and see if we can, is there a way to kind of create a dashboard, just something that's a little more 
um, web friendly and, you know, it, you click on it, goes to what the yeah, project is and just has a little more interactive nature to it. So that'll be part of the conversation because it's, I think it, it is really important to show where the investments are going. Right. And I thought, you know, it's fine to excel and stuff like that, but visually this is much more striking. Like visually. This is where it is. It's, you know, you can see drug, geographically it's dispersed. Yes. You know, and, you know, from the community standpoint, at least. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Point. good. Another yeah. thing, uh, Ray, would be maybe it, in that table there, you got the safer routes of school, sidewalks and crosswalks. And maybe is there a way to like add a column that has which school that serves mostly? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we're actually part of what we're trying to do is be consistent with, uh, you know, we oftentimes will rename projects and give it a CIP number, which really means nothing. But uh, to the community, SRH, South Rose Hill, actually means something. That was the project that, that was designated through that. So we want to make sure that we highlight that. Um, so when um, either neighborhood meetings or things happen, people can see what's going on in their neighborhoods. And sometimes even having neighborhood associations start to look at the projects from this and, and focus their neighborhood safety money or things that, you know, their community has already asked for. So, yeah, that's that's good. We can add that. Um, I don't know if you're aware, too, that the TBD also funds some operations as well. Um, it's about 300,000 annually that will fund two additional streets and grounds, uh, FTEs, and we're hoping to kind of create a, a tree median team and sidewalks. I mean, we have, you know, there's, we have so many sidewalks and so many trees and, um, we really need to move towards more of a preventative maintenance strategy and hopefully this gets us a little closer to that um but we've been under resourced for a long time great thank you Other questions comments i just want to say congratulations on all of the work <laughs> that it did and, and and getting it across the line and 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 now you get to move on to the next phase but <laughs> Yeah, it definitely takes a village, though. I know that Joel and his group have been instrumental in getting this to where we are here. And and I would say also our city council and the city manager and others just had a total support for, you know, getting this out in front of the community. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, the easy part. No. Yeah. 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 And we're so we're, we are really excited about. Um, uh, the the work that um you know ray has done to move yeah. the plans forward and we do feel like we're in a good spot with um as we put this list together being comprehensive about thinking about what the real cost is and what's going to cost over the life of the program and the additional staff to make sure we can deliver on our commitment and so we're really trying to take that commitment um seriously that um you know, uh, councils made that, you know, move to, to fund this and, and bond against it so we can move these rapidly. So we've tried to set ourselves up um, to be successful in, in doing that. So, um, so hopefully uh, uh, council will count, you know, want to do it again. 
and, and um, we're hiring. <laughs> so if you know any project managers, let us know. <laughs> yeah, exciting times. Um, and I didn't know you guys were into sales. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank, thank you, Ray. You. Thank you. Presentation. Congratulations. Um, all right. Um, brings us now to our next um, item on the agenda, which is election of 2023 chair and vice chair. Uh, I'd just like to say I've really been honored to serve this last two years as chair, and uh, it's been a wonderful experience and, and sometimes challenging with the in-person versus remote. But um, we're here now, back in person mostly, and so and it's working better on, on the virtual side too. So um, I'd like to open it up for nominations. Um, I'd like to nominate um, Faith DeBolt for chair. She's served a great, as great co-chair these past two years. Any other nominations? About co-chair. I nominate Brian McGee for uh, vice chair. Great. Any other uh, Names in the hat? Are we good? We're good. So we do we vote or okay. So all in favor of Faith Vote as um, chair, say aye. 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 And Brian McGee as co-chair for the next year. Aye. 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 Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This question uh so we had a vacancy, right? Are, are we filling that vacancy or? Uh, Joel can probably talk to that. Yeah, so um, first of all, uh, I'd just like to say thanks to Kurt for um, for serving as chair. Uh, it's It's been great working with him and I really appreciate um, working under, you know, working with his leadership with the commission. And um, and yes, uh, he, he he did kind of draw the short straw with um, a long time of chairing meetings virtually, and he's always been um, a great sport about that, and um, and we really do uh, appreciate that. So um, thank you very much for, for thank that. you, Joel. An honor. Um, and uh, and I'm looking forward to working with um, uh, new chair uh, Faith and and Brian as vice chair. So um, thank you for being being willing to to serve um, in those roles and looking forward to that. Um, and then finally, to your question, Patrick, um, we, we only got um, through kind of the, the pool and what council decided to do um, was, uh, we had a very small pool of applicants and they decided to, um, by the time that process had played out, it was the end of the year. They do their recruitment in March. And so they decided to not go ahead with like some kind of one-off recruitment. So what they will have, a, we'll just have a vacancy for the next few months. And then they'll start up their recruitment, I believe in February um, and make appointments in March. And so I think it's, I think it's the April, meet, March or April meeting where we'll have a new commissioner as part of the broader um, recruitment. So we'll be down a person for a little while. So um, hopefully we'll, you know, get some more applicants. And, um, and I believe 
um, the clerk is uh, keeping the applicants that we did get on file and stuff like that. But I'll, I'll confirm that as well. well we're recruiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Great. Super. So um, you have some other updates, Joel? Or I do. Um, so uh, it's it is going to be a pretty interesting next year or two because. Um, you know, it doesn't come around uh, every day that we we update our transportation master plan. So that's going to be um, a a big um, a big work item for the next um, the next few years. And so I just wanted to give a quick update on what's going on with the comp plan and TMP update. Um, the plan is that here at the beginning of the year, either in January or February, um, Kim Scrivener and and Janice. Um, uh, we'll be back uh, to talk about um, the uh, the the update and give a more comprehensive update. But I just wanted to make sure uh, that the commission was aware that there is a um, a visioning a, a virtual visioning exercise scheduled for January 11th. So um, if uh, if commissioners are interested in participating in that um, that comes up that's coming up and there will be a um a, a transportation master plan breakout room as part of that event so um so it should be a, a good event uh they're launching a major media kind of um outreach uh here this week and next on getting the word out on the comp plan and tmp and kicking that off uh, there is a survey that is up and running um, and related to the broader comp plan, but it also has um, some transportation related questions in it. Uh, we are trying to work as hard as possible to, to integrate the transportation efforts in with the broader comprehensive plan that, because they really do um, work together. And, um, and so that's coming up. There will be some organization of uh, focus groups with an emphasis on priority populations um, to get a broad representation from the community. And there is uh, additional information on, on the website um, that uh, if people want to look at that further. I had a couple other notes that I wanted to touch on. So, um, the we are in the process of also bringing on a consultant team um, to help with the transportation master plan update. Uh, they should be on board here in the March timeframe. We have worked with a cons consultant. The city has worked with another consultant to put together an, en an engagement plan for the whole effort. There's been some training, but that engagement effort will be really spearheaded by uh, by staff based on the plan that they've developed in um, in collaboration with the the the, con the outreach consultants. Um, just I'll hit these really quickly. Some of the key themes um, for the comp plan update are really about advancing diversity, equity, inclusivity, and belonging. Um, promoting sustainability. Uh, looking at ensuring affordable housing for all, 
developing accessible and um, this, you know, kind of the accessible and and um, mobile connections within Kirkland and to the regional trans transit system, and then the idea of resilience resiliency to future emergencies and and fiscal planning. Um, those are some of those things, and they're seeing this comp plan update as kind of a a minor or a moderate update. Uh, back six, seven years ago was a really big effort to update the comp plan. And this is not intended to be the same scale. And um, I can't remember if we've gone over these with the commission before. I mean, you'll hear them again and you'll certainly get some, uh, your opportunity to put in some feedback on these as we really do get into the process. But some of the things that we're initially thinking about when it comes to the TMP update is making sure uh, that we're folding in the complete streets policy concept. Um, interestingly, the last update uh, doesn't mention complete streets at all, which I think the idea of complete streets is, is baked into the document, but it is not you know, directly said. So that's something we wanna be more um, uh, imp implicit about. We certainly wanna, um, bring in all of the modal planning that we've done. In the last five, six years, we've done a transit plan, an ATP plan update. Um, we've done the Vision Zero plan, uh, you know, some corridor planning, ST3 passed. So um, all those things, uh, you know, we have a stationary plan with a whole bunch of transportation infrastructure in it, um, the, the TBD passed. And so we wanna make sure that we, the, the document reflects all of that. Um, so we see this as a, the same kind of thing, kind of a minor to moderate update to policy. I the where we see this going is more of a more of a focus on implementation of the policy that's already in place and how we can strengthen that. Um, refi refining and prioritizing and coming up with a new twenty-year capital facilities um, plan to include. Uh, updating our performance measures. Um, you know, we took a good first crack at performance measures, but um, you know, how how do we refine those? What do we think about those um, that we've been using the last few years? And then folding in some additional elements and concepts that are aren't in the TMP. Um, things like uh, you know, um, freight and and truck and deliveries, um, micro mobility. Uh, transit capacity analysis, those those types of things. So all of that um, is a lot of what we'll be talking about over the next uh, next you know eighteen months. And then um, the other item I wanted to talk a little bit about was um, the Washdot Safer Routes to School and Ped Bike Grant update. Um, we did apply for apply. For, for grants with five projects in the community um, in Kirkland, and we did not receive any, we were not successful with any of those grant applications. Um, one thing that we're seeing, and it's not only with, um, this is not the only grant uh, app opportunity that we're seeing the, this trend in, is that 60% of the points for the grant were allocated to equity and safety. Um, as you can imagine, uh, when it comes to equity scores, Kirkland is not, um, well, it depends on your perspective. If you're going after a grant 
We do not score well. If you live in Kirkland, we, you know, most people score really, you know, it's, it's not something you want to necessarily score high in. Um, so, uh, um, you know, so that is, um, that is something that makes it hard for us to compete. Um, we, we did some analysis because we really wanted to know why we weren't more successful. And, uh, and, and, and additionally, they actually had more money because of the, the passage that the legislature, what happened at the federal government and at the state legislature, they had actually had more money this, this last go around. But, um, but still, they had 165 applications for the Safer Routes to School grant, and they funded 38 projects. So um, there's way more appetite than there is even with the larger pot of money. Um, they 61% of the funded projects had an equity score in the top half, six or greater, and that's you know, based very little of Kirkland um, fits that criteria. Our projects in that category ranked in the middle of the pack, around kind of 85 to 100 out of 165 applications. Um, interestingly, basically no projects on the east side of Lake Washington got funded from the Safer Routes to School grant program. Um, and then also from the ped bike perspective, there were 144 applications and uh, 28 were funded. So uh, we were not alone. Um, and 85% of the funded projects had an equity score um, in the top half or six, of six or greater. Um, and we scored once again, kind of in the middle of the pack. And the other challenge that we have is that um, although um, I don't want to diminish the, um, the, the risk and safety issues that remain in our community in relative comparison um, to much of uh, many of our competitors in a grant, grant scenario like this. Um, uh, our, our school walk routes and our ped bike projects do not score particularly well in the safety category either because we do not have the same number of um, fatalities and serious injuries that um, that our competitors do. So, um, so I think we struggle with this a little bit, and that we we're not competitive, and yet um, to our values of our council and stuff like that, um, that is promoting equity and inclusion. Uh, it's hard to argue with um, you know this money going to places that have um, you know have higher equity scores and um, more significant safety problems. So, you know, but uh, I wanted to bring that up. It, it is an interesting, um, I'll end with, as we've thought about this, it, it is an interesting tie-in to the transportation benefit district conversation because it is yet another reason why it's important that the city is stepping up um, to fund these projects um, uh, are on, at a local level with the tools that the legislature has has given us because um, that's, uh, I think we're gonna be relying on that. We will continue to compete for, you know, look for grant opportunities. There are certainly other sources that um, where we feel like we can be competitive, um, but that's just wanted to give that quick update. Just, just wondering, since you guys submitted five grants, is there, uh, a view of, you know, maybe perhaps we self-funded or, I mean, there were good ideas. Um, is there any follow-ups on, on 
So, um, so some of the projects uh, we are looking at um, funding through other sources uh, that we think through other grant opportunities that could be more um, uh, more competitive. In some cases, we were asking for funding for projects that were was in the TBD in the in the spirit of you know leveraging like we're doing that all the time, right? Is you know it's you fill up a bucket and you overfill it and then you take the local money and you can put it in something else. But we're trying to move, you know, move projects along. Um, and, uh, and so that's a, a couple of the projects uh, were that type of situation. Um, actually, many of them were. Um, and then uh, one of them was related to um, intersection improvements at the 70th Street and 122nd Avenue Northeast intersection. And that's one we feel like um, may very well be competitive through some other process, grant processes over in the future. So, so we'll continue to work on that one too. We, we also, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we also work with our um, delegation you know, that go to Olympia to, to ask them for a direct earmark, if you will, you know, um, in the state capital budget. So we do have a number of um, requests there for projects already on our list as well. I don't remember all the projects, maybe you do, but we can, we can share that next time. But there's, I, I wanna say we're asking for three or four projects, asking them to fund it through the state capital appropriation. So maybe we'll get some money that way. That is another way to um, get some funds, but, um, you know, but as Joel said, competing statewide, you know, we, we don't do as well. Um, in fact, I just supported a, um, I don't know how I got assigned this, but I ended up getting assigned, um, submitting a grant application for affordable housing. So as you can imagine, especially our region, there is no affordable housing. So we had supported four different applications for four different new unique projects. Um, one particular project we submitted, there were three rounds. And finally, in the third round, one of the four was funded for a million. So that was great. It was fantastic. But I mean, they this the the need and the demands are so high, um, and unfortunately, the other three projects, also very very important projects, weren't funded. So the needs are just very very high, and and I think the competition is very, um, you know, robust. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great update, Joel. Um, Exciting times ahead for the city for sure. Um, any other items you want on your mind at this point? Nope, that's it. Okay. Brian, you have anything to share? Uh, no, nothing to share, but I think just kind of as I was thinking as we were going through that conversation, it, it is nice to live in a city like Kirkland that has such a good transportation network. It's one of the reasons I moved here. And all the work we do here is really just kind of enhancing that. And so I do understand how it makes it tough to get more funding, but you know, it's I, I appreciate everything that um, is put forth. I'm so glad you see it as glass half full. 
Um, and we have obviously, you're very well aware, some very important projects that we are planning to go to bid on and planning to construct and um, 100th, right, Juanita. So we've got some really fantastic investments um, that we're embarking on in the next year. Um, that's going to be, I think, amazing. We're going to be celebrating the TLC. And, you know, so it's, we've got some really great things. We already have some great things, but we're even going to see more great things ahead. Yeah. Thank you for that. Ethan, do you have anything to add right now? Um, I think following up on Joel was talking um, a little bit ago about the, there is a survey out live right now. Um, I just happened to come across it on social media this morning. Um, and if I was wondering if maybe it could be sent out over email to vision the rest survey. Of the, what's that? A vision survey? Yeah, the visioning yeah. survey. Yeah. Is that um, workshop on the 11th? Is that during the day or, or is that evening? Or? I don't, I don't know. It's in the evening. Okay. Yeah, virtual. Okay. 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> I already just registered like that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's awesome. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Um, anything to add there, Patrick? Okay. It looks like our next meeting is the 25th. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, yes. And it will cover future park lane study and neighborhood traffic control program updates. That's the the proposed potential topics at this point. We'll see how it kind of comes together. We also might, we may also be talking about the transportation master plan update and bringing that back same evening. All right, anybody, uh, Shri, uh, AJ, anything from you folks? Raphael? I guess we'll see you guys next year. Yeah. All right. Well, happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bring us to adjournment now at 8 748. Hey. Oh.